Welcome to the Motivational Speech Podcast. You are listening to Mr. Jim Quick. He is a brain coach, mind well trainer, and is noted for his speed reading and memory techniques. For two decades, Jim Quick has worked as a brain coach to students, seniors, entrepreneurs, teachers, and advisors to many of the world's leading CEOs and celebrities. He also wrote a book that has become the number one New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller. Check the description below to get this book for free. How do you live to 100? This is a very provocative title, and I'm so glad you joined us for this episode. In our private Facebook group of over 100,000 of you, we often get these questions about anti-aging. How do you live longer, but not only live longer, but also better? that um, maybe our minds could grow older, but also improve in many different ways. And so I'm excited to have with us today, Marta Zaraska, and she's a science journalist, and she's also author of this powerful new book, Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism, and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100. Marta, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jim. So congratulations on your book. You and I were just talking about launching a book during this interesting time. Um, you've gotten such remarkable feedback, you know, mutual people that we know, like Adam Grant, you know, individuals praising the book, congratulations. Now you're, you. you're a science writer, science journalist. And what made you want to do this research around, you know, living to hundred years old, growing young? I mean, it came quite naturally from my research as a science journalist. So I write a lot of articles for the Washington Post, for Scientific American, exactly about nutrition and exercise, how to stay long, how to be happy as well, psychology, all these kind of topics. And um, and also in my personal life, I've been always into healthy living, you know, how to stay young, how to stay healthy. You know, I was always exercising a lot, eating healthy and so on. And at the same time, you know, in my professional career, I started coming across more and more research um, pointing into a little bit different direction and showing that yes, diet and exercise are important, but actually there are things that are at least as important uh, for our healthy and long living that we don't pay enough attention to. And in particular, I came across this one meta-analysis of studies. So this is, you know, this golden standard of research mm -hmm. that very conveniently for me put together all the numbers. And the researchers showed basically that being socially engaged, so having, you know, strong connections with your family, with your friends, with your community, uh, can lower your mortality risk by about 45%. Whereas diet and exercise is usually around 20 to 30%. So, you know, you have 45% here and 20 to 30% there. So it really opened my eyes and I started asking myself, you know, am I doing really the best things for my health and longevity and also for the health of my family or maybe I'm really missing on something really big so this is why I started researching this topic more and after reading over 600 research papers and talking to dozens of scientists I wrote Growing Young and I also changed the way I live my life and paying much more attention to social connections to mindset as well to mindfulness to optimism and things like that as at least as much as to diet and exercise. That's remarkable when you see people hear the research, some people, because often you hear about exercise and working out and what's the, what's the perfect diet, but actually a bigger needle mover are all these more of these, what would you call it? More soft, um, more soft skills, if you, if you will, 
connections. That's not just your neuro neurological connections. It's also your, your social network also as well. I mean, in the way, you know, it is softer in a way, but it also is very, very physiological. We are also talking about the brain and neurons and, uh, you know, for example, the vagus nerve, right, that emerges from your brain, the longest nerve that emerges from your brain and innervates your digest digestive system, your breathing and so on. This is one of the links, for example, between how we live our lives socially and how our bodies respond. Also your social hormones, oxytocin, serotonin, vasopressin, for instance, these are all connectors between how we connect with other people and how our bodies respond. So this is very, very physiological. You have, for example, changes on the level of gene expression on how socially connected you are, how kind you are and how your body reacts basically for example kindness can be seen on the level of leukocytes of the gene expression in your leukocyte so the white blood cells so it's very very physiological so in a way it is these are soft drivers of health but on the other hand they are as real and as hard as exercise or diet wow and so what was i'm just curious what's some of the What's one of the most surprising things that came out of research for this book that was just maybe turned your mind like 180 degrees? I think for me, for instance, conscientiousness. So conscientiousness is this personality trait uh, that's you know, sounds very boring in a way, because this is when people pay their bills over time, or they show to meetings on time, they keep their desk nice and tidy. And it sounds like something that's completely unconnected to longevity, right? It's so far removed from uh, diet or exercise. And yet, when I was talking to one of the researchers, he actually said that if conscientiousness could be put into a pill, it would be the most powerful drug on, on earth. And the reason for that is not only because, you know, conscientious people tend to take their medication on time and they tend to exercise as well and so on and so on, but there are actual also physiological connections between how conscientious you are and how long you will live. And, um, and this is also something you can train, right? So we can change our personality. This is new research also that emerges now that actually, you know, personality is something that can be trained just like our muscles. So for me, this was really shocking, you know, that's personality and things like exactly conscientiousness, whether I keep my desk tidy can actually matter for my health. So it really changed my perspective here, especially on things like parenting, for instance, you know, I used to think that to keep my daughter healthy, I had to make sure that she's enough broccoli. And now I see that making sure she keeps her room tidy is also part of her future mm -hmm. health and longevity. So this was really eye opening for me. So personality, when it comes to certain traits, it's not fixed. As, as your research has found? I mean, there is genetic components to it, right? So, but basically there is genetic component to almost everything. Uh, but on the other hand, it also is changeable. So, you know, when you think about personality traits, like for example, neuroticism, this is something that we've known is changeable for decades. It's something that psychotherapists usually work in therapy on, right? Uh, but also things exactly like conscientiousness um, or um, extraversion. Kindness. Kindness. Yes. I mean, yeah, kindness as well is not a personality trait, but it's also kind of related, right? So empathy, things like this, it, it all can be changed with basically exercise, you can say, just like we are all not born with the same types of muscles. Uh, we are not all born to be, you know, Olympic swimmers, let's say, uh, but I certainly wasn't, but uh, we can all still improve. We don't give up. We, we still exercise. We try to run faster. We try to run, run longer or swim more. 
and the same with empathy you can you can exercise it there is lots of research on it that it just takes this two to six weeks on average with personality traits when you actually can see changes and you just start small you know you just start with changing one little habit per day let's say and both with empathy and with personality traits such as uh, such as conscientiousness or with optimism it can really lead to long-term changes so which is amazing that certain things are not are not fixed and a lot of these changes can help you to not only live longer but also live would you say better? I mean, certainly, you know, on one hand, optimism, for instance, right, it can add you anywhere from four to 10 years of life. So we are talking a lot of years of life here. But also, on the other hand, when you think about it, you know, optimism, it's, it's nice to be optimistic, right? It's kind of makes things more pleasant, I guess. And, you know, the same with kindness. Uh, for example, there, there is some fascinating research showing that kindness actually spreads so when people start doing kind things, uh, other people also start doing kind things around them, right? So it's not only good for your uh, gene expression, your leukocytes and your longevity and your health, but it also for the whole community. So there was this fascinating um, uh, thing that happened in Canada. Uh, in, it was in Manitoba, I guess, in Tim Hortons, which is, you know, for us Canadians, this, this is the, the holy grail of where you get your coffee. Anyway, so uh, in a drive-through of one Tim Hortons, one driver paid for the driver after him and it started spreading so much this like act of kindness that in the end over 200 people paid for the driver after them which is absolutely amazing you know i've never seen broccoli eating spread in the same kind of <laughs> way uh, so definitely it's better for for our health and for our moods for for our mental well-being and for for the community as well so for our listeners who want to live longer, and I can't imagine anyone who doesn't want to live longer and also not only have more years to their life, but life in their years, what, what are, let's talk about the markers then. So outside of exercise and nutrition, in terms of what do you think moves the markers the most? And then how many, it's fascinating when you, when you mention things like optimism, because somebody could think that they're, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm screwed because I'm, I'm a pessimist, like, I'm just, in, you know, I, or I know somebody or I'm, I'm in, I'm in a relationship with a person who always kind of sees the negative. And so I guess this two parts question, what are the things that move the needle the most? And then what are the tiny things that you would recommend to somebody listening to, uh, to be able to change that trait? I mean, so certainly, you know, if we are talking the most important things out there, uh, so numbers are pretty clear, actually. So the committed committed romantic relationship this is the most important thing for your health and longevity okay. uh, and this really beats diet and exercise um, usually in research it says marriage but it doesn't have to be marriage it just has to be really committed and when you think about it you know you said yourself that uh, sometimes when you live with a pessimist for example it can really spread on you as well and it's true that when we live with another person we actually synchronize even our bodies to the point that we synchronize our heart rate we synchronize our pulse we synchronize our finger temperature and even things like electric conductivity in the chest so it's it's amazing how much we actually get in tune with another person with whom we share our lives. And in terms of longevity, it can lower your mortality risk by over 40% when you are in a happy, committed relationship. Uh, and this goes beyond, it's not just because, you know, living with another person 
people tend to, for example, remind their spouse to, I don't know, exercise or the kind of nag factor. It goes beyond, far beyond that, precisely because we tend to synchronize our bodies, but also because um, it has effects on our so-called HPA axis, this is the stress axis, so our fight or flight response. And basically, when we are in a happy relationship, and it, it's both about marriage, but also friendship and family relationships, our stress response basically comes down. So, you know, it starts in your brain, you have this hypothalamus where this whole process starts, and then it sends signals down into our body that cause release of the soup of hormones, including cortisol, you get adrenaline as well. And when this system malfunctions, it has very negative consequences for our health, you know, in terms of diabetes, heart, heart disease, cancer as well. And we function the best and our fight or flight response also functions the best when we are surrounded by others with whom we are close. And we evolved this way, right? We are social apes. We evolved to be surrounded by our tribe. And right. uh, if you were alone in the savanna in our evolutionary past, you were in deep trouble, right? You were, your, all the systems were at high alert. You were sleeping poorly because you were attentive to all the lions creeping on you. And, um, and also our antibacterial, so inflammation would go up because you were likely to be wounded. So there are lots of things happening in our body when you were away from your tribe. And, you know, our bodies don't really know that we are no longer on the savanna we think we are still there so we still need our tribe just like our ancestors did and unfortunately these days very often we don't live the same way we live alone right where so many people live on their own they they don't have time for for relationships and this unfortunately has very negative effects on our body so the most important thing you can be doing for your for your uh, for the proper functioning of your body, for your longevity, for your health, for the stress response, is exactly to make sure that you're surrounded by people uh, among whom you feel safe, when you feel connected, that you know that they are there for you. Amazing. And I think we all need somebody there for us to encourage us, to cheerlead for us, to support us, to make us feel safe. And if you haven't found that person, maybe they could, uh, someone listening, they could be that person for somebody else, you know, and especially be that person for ourselves. So that's one, uh, committed, happy relationships. Um, what would be one other one you would recommend? What would be top of the list? I mean, we haven't talked about kindness yet. Maybe we touched a little bit on it, but generally kindness, empathy, caring for other people. It also includes volunteering, for instance. Volunteering is a very big predictor of health. People who volunteer uh, have uh, their mortality risk as much lowered as those who eat six portions of fruits and vegetables per day. So imagine, you know, you can substitute basically six portions of fruits or vegetables per day with volunteering. Of yeah. course, the best is to do both, but uh, just to give you an idea how good it is for your health. So volunteers spend less time in hospitals. They have uh, less risk of diabetes or less risk of uh, inflammation. So these are really, really great things for, for our health and longevity. And um, and this is all because we have evolved something that scientists call a caregiving system. And this involves such areas of the brain, for, for instance, like the insula or the septal area. And this wired us to be find caring for others on one hand rewarding, but on the other hand, also uh, it helps 
with stress. And the reason for that is that if you are caring for another person, you have to calm down yourself first. So the responsiveness of your amygdala, for example, in your brain goes down because you have to, you know, you have to be calm to care for others. You cannot be panicking. You know, it's like on a plane, right? You have to put the mask on yourself first because you, before you are able to help others. And it's the same thing happening in our brain when we're caring for others. It puts the, the safety mask on us first. It calms our stress response. And of course, we all know that stress these days is something that really ruins our health. So when we are caring for other people, when we are being kind, it can be as simple as, I don't know, opening doors for other people or letting others ahead in traffic. When we are volunteering, when we are caring for our family members, this all activates the systems, this caregiving systems and calms down our stress with all these beneficial effects for our health. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. And it makes the world a better place also as well. Whereas maybe fear and viruses are contagious, you know, as you mentioned, you know, giving, even at that example where people are paying for their coffee, that that could spread also as, as well. And one little act could, uh, could change, could change the cosmos, maybe. What, um, is there one more that you would recommend outside of committed, happy relationships, kindness and empathy that you feel would be valuable, um, not replacing exercise and eating right? I mean, we haven't talked about meaning and purpose, and these are other things oh, wow. that are also really, really important for your health. So finding purpose to live, meaning in your life. And for example, people who have found meaning, they have uh, less, uh, uh, better antiviral response. So we just, you know, in this uh, days, it's kind of quite important and it's always important, but particularly now. Uh, and they also live longer. So finding something to live for. For example, when I was writing Growing Young, I traveled to Japan. Uh, you know, this is the longest lived nation on the planet. So I really wanted to hear, talk to the researchers there and also to, to the elderly people there to see what makes them live so long. And one of the things that always come up comes up in discussions with people who study uh, longevity in Japan is ikigai. So this is something that translates to reason for living, which for mm. us is purpose in life or meaning. And it's such recognized driver of health in Japan that actually the Ministry of Health there has put it on their official list of recommendations of what to do to live healthy. So not only eat your vegetables, fruits and exercise, but also find your meaning, find your purpose or ikigai. And um, and, you know, it doesn't have to be anything grand. Sometimes people ask me, but, you know, I, I don't have this huge thing. I'm not, you know, trying to save the polar bears or anything like that. So I don't have purpose. But the truth is, when I talk to the Japanese people, you know, for them, ikigai can be very small. It can be as something very basic as keeping your yard tidy so it's nice and pleasant for the neighbors or caring for your grandchildren, you know, really things that most of us can find. It doesn't have to be huge. It can be huge, of course, but it doesn't have to be. But just having this reason for living, something that you feel you're giving to others, giving back to communities, probably also tied to the caregiving system once again. But it really shows both in studies done in Japan, but also in, in Western research, that it's particularly healthy for our cardiovascular system for some reason, that it really lowers the risk of heart attacks, for instance, uh, to have meaning or purpose in life. Yeah, I don't know if this is anecdotal or if this if there's any truth to this, but they say um, I, I somebody mentioned to me the other day that most heart attacks actually happen on Mondays, you know, <laughs> or Monday mornings, and I don't think that happens for lions or or something like that. Um, maybe maybe it's connected if there's any truth to that to feelings of, of purpose. Um, 
potentially. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Marta, this is such an interesting conversation. And I, and I love that people can benefit from this now more than ever. You know, where there is, when you're talking about safety, where people feel maybe uncertain, they feel an abundance of stress. And we know it's chronic stress could shrink your brain. You know, chronic fear, you know, could suppress your immune system uh, in area of psychoneuroimmunology, where you're more susceptible to colds, the viruses, the flus, you know, and just so having that, those systems in place and little things to be able to create loving, connected relationships, little acts of empathy and kindness, um, be able to do little things to discover and develop your own, your own purpose and make a massive, massive, not a little bit of difference, but a huge difference. Um, I, I had a question for you. How would people find out more? And I'm sure they want to continue this conversation. Where would they go? I mean, so the book can be found, obviously, in all the usual booksellers with Amazon on the top of the list, but also all the other ones, Indigo and, and other sellers like that. But you can find more information, also more resources on the book's website, which is www.growingyoungthebook.com. Growingyoungthebook.com. I would challenge everyone, actually, to take a screenshot of this episode, whether it's on YouTube or if it happens to be on, on iTunes or wherever you're watching this, and uh, tag Marta, tag myself, uh, so we see it. And let's challenge them to do one thing. Maybe they could, um, what's one small simple step that they could share on their post um, that would have to do with growing young? What would you like them to post? <laughs> I know, I don't know where to start, but maybe some kind of small acts of kindness, how you can yeah be kind to the people around you it, it both boosts relationships right being kind to your mm -hmm. friends or to your family can improve your relationships but also can have direct effects on your health so maybe yeah. you know small small nice things you can do for other people i love that so either post your notes from this conversation or smoke post one small act of kindness that you will because uh, and kindness is like a superpower and, it, and it's free so we should be sprinkling on that everywhere and as always, I will put the show notes uh, at jimquick.com slash notes, along with links to, uh, to the book and also Marta's social media. Um, I'll actually repost some of my favorites. So I encourage everyone to, to post it and share because when you share it, you not only being kind to somebody, but you can teach them um, so then other people can benefit also as well. And I actually bought uh, an extra couple copies of Growing Young. I'll actually send those two copies to uh, two random people who share this this post. So, Marta, thank awesome. you so much for being on our show. And, thank you uh, so much, Jim, for having me on on your show. <laughs> thank you, everyone, also for listening. And uh, we'll see you in our next episode. Hi, Quick Brain. It's your brain coach. I want to thank you so much for watching this video. Three things to do. Number one, make sure you share this because when you teach something, you get to learn it twice. Update your learning so you can update other people's learning as well. Number two, make sure you subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a thing because if you miss a video, you miss a lot. And finally, make sure you hit that bell so you're notified and you find out when we put out the latest and the greatest. One extra thing, if you want really close attention, then text me. Here is my phone number, 310-299-9362. Did you remember that number? 310-299-9362. Shoot me a text and we'll stay in touch. Ask me your burning question. And I wish your days be full of lots of life, lots of love, lots of laughter, and always lots of learning. I'll see you in our next video. Welcome to the Motivational Speech Podcast. You are listening to Mr. Jim Quick. 
he is a brain coach, mind-well trainer, and is noted for his speed reading and memory techniques. For two decades, Jim Quick has worked as a brain coach to students, seniors, entrepreneurs, teachers, and advisors to many of the world's leading CEOs and celebrities. He also wrote a book that has become the number one New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller. Check the description below to get this book for free.